Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 109 of Teaching Tales, the podcast totally devoted to sharing stories from the world of education. I am your host, Brent Coley, an elementary educator in beautiful Southern California. And for the broadcast today, joining me is another Southern California educator, Kevin Roten. Kevin, how are you doing? I am doing well, Brent. It is so cool to get to talk to you tonight. I'm excited. Yes, me too. So, so we met. I, I've, I've seen you online, but we met in person a couple of weeks ago at a local, um, a local educational technology conference, and I got to meet you. We chatted a little bit about what we're going to talk about tonight. But before we get into that, for anyone who is not yet familiar with you and your work, give us a little background. Like, who are you? How long have you been in education? Kind of brief path into the job. So, who is Kevin? So I have now been teaching 21 or 22 years. I think it's 21. I started right out of college, um, hired where I student taught, which was in my old school district where I grew up. And then I taught middle school for 18 years. And two years ago in the middle of the pandemic, when everyone was wondering what they're going to do with their lives, I was too. And the opportunity to go teach high school opened up and my degree was in economics. I'd always planned to teach high school. So I was like, all right, it's time to go make the jump. So now I'm at the high school where I'm teaching government and economics, still literally five minutes from my house in my district where I went to school and grew up. So uh, that's pretty cool. And uh, I was an AVID coordinator for a long time at the middle school, 15 years running our AVID program at the middle school. I've been involved in esports and ran about eight or nine clubs at the middle school. I was doing everything. So it's kind of nice to have moved to the high school where I can just kind of start over. I'm not expected to do all those things anymore. So I got a couple clubs going on and mostly it's just been building new experiences for my new curriculum. And uh, it's been an adventure teaching high school in a lot of ways that I did not expect. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I still, I still remember Mrs. Godfrey, who was my high school government and economics teacher. One of the, my, one of the, my favorite teachers of my of my high school experience. So I'm sure you're doing the same for, for many of your, uh, many of your students. Um, so, and what you didn't mention, and we'll talk about it today is you're also the author of a book called teach with magic. And, um, that's kind of what I want to talk about. That's the, that's the, this, the topic of this episode today is tell us about a little bit like what was the idea teach with magic so magic is not like we're not talking about pen and teller uh avracadabra magic necessarily we're talking about disney magic so give us the idea behind your book and what we're going to talk about tonight excellent absolutely as much as i would love to do you know show magic don't have that skill uh i have been a huge disney fan for longer than i've been teaching and i've been a you know pass holder forever since about the year 2000 and i did a presentation back in 2011 for a local social studies group and they asked me to keynote speak i had never spoken at anything before but i had posted just tons of stuff on my website i've been sharing lessons forever and they asked me if i would be their speaker and i said okay sure i'd love to i don't know what i'm going to talk about i don't know what i'm doing but they want me i'm flattered so I put together a show called, I'm not an entertainer, but I should be. I thought, hey, if I'm going in, I might as well go big. I hear that from teachers all the time. You know, the, uh, I'm not an entertainer. 
So that was the title of my show. And it went over really well. People really liked it. And it kind of was like, okay, there, there's something here about this, this entertainment side. And it was just one of those things where I can't even remember how it started, to be honest, but I got a hold of uh, Marty Sklar's book. Marty Sklar is, or was, he's, he's passed, the longtime head of Disney Imagineering. And he wrote an incredible book called One Little Spark. And I can't, I was thinking just yesterday, like, gosh, I want to talk about this book. Where did I, how did I come across it? I literally don't remember. And in that book, he lays out what are known as Mickey's 10 Commandments. And those are the rules that the Imagineers follow whenever they're creating an experience. And as I'm reading through this book, I'm going, this is what a classroom should look like. This is what my classroom should look like. And I saw some of my classroom in there. And the more I thought about it and thought about it, I'm like, no, I, I can run with this. Like these principles are universal to a theme park. They certainly could apply to a classroom. So I started putting it together, did a lot more Disney research, fell deep down the Disney history rabbit hole. I've probably read 50, 60 biographies of various Imagineers and Walt and things now. And and that all ended up turning into to the book and the brand and a bunch more shows and presentations. And it's just really taken off. It's been really cool. Well, I, I, I listened to you at the conference that we were at where we got to meet you were, you were talking about this and I was so intrigued by just by the concept. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of, of taking real life things and applying them to education and Disney. Um, and this, I mean, while some people may, I mean, love them or hate them in terms of where they're, I mean, they bought Star Wars and many people think that oh, yeah. destroyed the <laughs> franchise. And so, so we're not going to go down that rabbit hole here, but, but I think everyone will agree, like they know what they're doing when it comes to theme parks and experiences. They do not do it halfway. Uh, whether it's, you're not going to find a weed in any of the landscaping places at Disney, things like that. So I just love, and I've, I've got your book and I've, I haven't finished it yet, but I've, I've dived into it. So I would love, you mentioned the Mickey's 10 commandments. And I think in your book, each, each chapter kind of goes over one of those and you've applied it to education. So I'd love, can you just take, take a couple of those, if you would, what maybe one of your favorites and, and share a little bit of how Disney's philosophies and techniques could make anyone listening, myself included, a better educator. Sure. Uh, I'd love to. So I'm going to start with the one I always start with, given the opportunity, and that's Commandment 4. And the reason I love 4 the most is it's just a great name. It's Use a Weenie. Use a Weenie is Commandment 4. Oh, okay. Which, yep. That's great one, right? I'm, and I'm, I'm intrigued. Kevin. I love it. Isn't it great? So... <laughs> As with many Disney stories, I have come to find that there is often more legend than truth to origin stories in Disney. And the origin story of Use a Weenie, there are four or five different ones out there, depending on whose book you read and which article from Marty Sklar you read, from which point of his, his life. It's, it's great. But the one that I think is most correct is the idea that they used to use literal hot dog weenies to direct animals on stage in live theater. So the use a weenie idea is creating an object that draws the attention of your audience or of your guest. 
So in teaching, kind of the easiest uh, connection would be, you know, if you want to go back to Madeline Hunter, the anticipatory set, right? That fancy idea. It's getting them into the experience. So if you think of Disneyland itself, never been to Disneyland, you don't have to. You, you know, just from anything you've seen, when you walk into Disneyland, at the end of Main Street is the castle. And that castle is the, the park's central weenie. And the idea is you walk in and you see that castle and you want to get closer to it. So it draws you in. There's no, this blows my mind, there are hardly any directional signs at Disneyland. Almost none. If you go and look for them, you won't find them. True. Because you are being guided by these weenies all over the park. There's the castle, there's the Matterhorn in Fantasyland, there's the giant treehouse in Adventureland. There's all these different things that are drawing you in your directions. So in the classroom, I have really tried to push that idea of how do I draw my students into the physical space of the classroom? What is a weenie in the case of a classroom? Now, I can't build a Matterhorn. I'd love to. But we can do things, simple things with LED lighting. I've had a lot of fun with that over the last couple of years. I've designed um, movie posters in the style of the attraction posters in the, you know, the front of Disneyland. I've done that for my lessons that come up throughout the year. So it's just this very visual representation. I want the students, when they walk in, to see and feel this is not my typical classroom. I'm being led into what's going to be an experience. And that's that whole idea of weenie. So whether you do it digitally with um, a photo or you do it with a video introduction or some kind, there's so many little things we can do. Uh, one of my favorites is not my idea, but it comes from Dave Burgess of Teach with Pirate, uh, Teach Like a Pirate fame. You know, he talks about taking an object, turning all the lights in the room off and just shining a desk lamp on a single object. And that is just such a powerful thing. Like students, they walk into a room where the lights are off and one thing is lit up. Like their brains are on, they're going, they're like, what is happening here? And that is that very imagineering idea of using a weenie. I, you mentioned the LED lights. Um, we've got in our district, I was doing site visits at the beginning of the year and went into one of our counselor's offices at one of our elementary schools. And he had the LED lights up around, I mean, just the lighting was, was, it was just cool. He had the LED lights kind of, instead of crown molding, it was LED lights and he had different neon signs. I mean, and yep. just the vibe in that, in his room is kind of like, I, I, I want to come see the counselor. I mean, it, it wasn't your sterile counselor's office. It, it was so inviting and it was awesome. I had a third grade teacher when I was a principal that she had, it looked like, it felt like a coffee shop. She had a cover yeah. with couches and she'd got the walls, it, it like wood paneling. She'd brought in lamps that it just, it didn't, you said it, I love when you said it, it didn't feel like a classroom. It, yeah. It, and if you, go ahead. If you think about Disneyland going into, this will take you into a whole bunch of other commandments, but that idea of authenticity of space is so important at Disneyland. Like the, the fact that the trash cans are different colors in every land of the park. The fact that the sidewalks are literally different in every land of the park. You're not going to have a brick paved pathway in Adventureland. That, that fidelity of experience goes such a long way. And it's hard to do in a classroom, right? Because there are certain, you have to have your 36 desks. You have to have 
the fire extinguisher on the wall, right? There are certain things that are always going to be there, but there are little things you can do drawing their attention where you want them to look and not where you don't want them to look. And again, is that weenie idea. We want you looking forward. Don't, don't look over here at this, this ugly door that leads to, you know, offstage areas. Keep going in that same direction. And lighting is such a powerful thing with that in the classroom. And it's cheap. LED lighting is super cheap. You do so much just to turn that experience around and make it feel like a, like a Disneyland space. I, 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 I'm just, I'm wishing I was in the classroom right now. Cause I'm thinking, and for anyone listening right now, I mean, lighting. It, I mean, there's so many other ways you could go with this, but what an easy for me, like in my new office at, at, I'm at the district office now, but it's like, I need to get a lamp, just, just a lamp to, to yeah. just, and for me, it's not even, there's not students in that office right now, but just for my, uh, mental <laughs> to put me in the right uh, head space, just whether it's a desk lamp or something in the corner. Cause I walk into one of my colleagues offices down the thing and she's got a lamp and it's just like, Oh, mm. I, I want to hang out here. Feels, yeah. feels better in here than it does in mine because just lighting. And like you said, it's cheap. It's cheap. Yeah. I, I love it, Kevin. So, so what, what was it? Use, use a weenie. Use a weenie. <laughs> That's a weenie. right. Okay. So use yeah, a weenie. <laughs> uh, um, I, all right. Yeah. So give me, yeah. I, I live. So that would be one, one of the ideas. What would be another, uh, Mickey's commit well, of Mickey's commandment. This is one that in education has become sort of the the it word in education in the last five years has been relationships, right? Form relationships, form relationships, form relationships. Disney's been doing this from the beginning. Number one is know your audience. Know your audience. And every year I have a different audience of students. Every period I have a different audience of students. And that's overwhelming. But consider the audience Disney has to appeal to. They have over 180 languages worth of audience that comes in. They have all ages. They have all physical abilities. And they have to create experiences that reach their entire audience. One of my favorite uh, stories I ever heard about this. So every summer at Disneyland, for the last 20 years, it was started by Marty Sklar, has done a conference for arts educators. And they call it Courageous Creativity. I am not an arts educator, but they don't seem to mind because I keep going anyway. And it is unbelievable. It's an incredible thing. And at one of them, I had the opportunity to uh, go to a panel. It wasn't a panel. Go to a, a conference session with the Imagineer who had designed uh, Soarin' Over California, mm. which is a basically a hang glider simulator over California, which is doing it no justice whatsoever. It is, it is awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, it, it is my favorite, one of my favorite rides, certainly. And talking to him about the idea of know your audience, he was telling us the origin story of where this ride came from, because it's not attached to a Disney property. It's not a, you know, it's not a movie ride. It's not anything like that. Where did this come from? He said, well, when we were building the new park, which then was California Adventure, we were surveying our guests and we kept asking them, what experience do you want at Disneyland that you don't have? What do you want to do? And he said, we kept seeing the word to fly, to fly, to fly. And so we started thinking about how do we make our guests fly? And he, over a Thanksgiving weekend, went home with his erector set of all things. This is an older guy. He was nearing the end of his Imagineering career. And with his erector set, 
essentially created what became Soarin' Over California. And he pulled out and showed us that model that he had made. He still has it. It's actually down underneath the ride. There's like a bunch of tunnels and things, and it's down in there in a little plexiglass case. It's super cool. And he showed us this thing. And sure enough, the next time I went on, he said, next time you go on the ride, just turn around and look and turn around and look. And sure enough, it is a giant erector set. Like the ride itself, if you just look, it's like they literally took this thing. And where did it come from? He knew his audience. They knew the audience wanted to fly. So they said, okay, let's make this. And you know, you think about the teaching side of it. What does your audience want? Well, yeah, they want to be on TikTok all period long. Yeah, they want to sleep. But what do they want from the classroom experience? Yeah. And the more you get to really know your students, the more you're going to be able to meet those needs. And it just creates a better experience. Like we both said, Soren is incredible because they created this experience that people wanted. And as, as a creator myself, I love creating lessons. When I create a lesson that the students truly love, like it makes my year, you know, not just makes my day. Like that's what I want to do. And if I know them ahead of time, that sure helps. Yeah. It's like asking, you can spend three hours building something that you loved oh my gosh this is the best but if it but if it's not something that they love and i love the idea of before you spend all that time building something ask them what they what they like so if it's you mentioned tiktok you're teaching high schoolers and if tiktok is the rage and all can you design a lesson around that that's going to be engaging or if it's at elementary at the elementary level or maybe it's pokemon or something like that so you design the um, you design a lesson around that. And it's so simple. I mean, I jotted down the note there, ask them what they want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, and, and now I'm thinking from an admin lens, maybe that's from a PD perspective. Like we can design so often, here's the trainings, right? Really what they want. Is it really what they need? Cause if I think it's what they want, or I think it's what they need, but I'm not really I'm not really sure. That's all. Awesome. Yeah, and I can certainly say from a teacher's perspective, there have been more than once where I've been into an administrative meeting or PD and I'm like, I don't, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> what is, this wasn't no. made for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's kind of like, what a refreshing to be asked. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like from a student perspective, if the teacher comes and says like, what do you want? And like, and you're really listening. And you're jotting down notes like what what do you want and then you take it to the next level and then you actually deliver on you actually act upon what you've asked them i mean that's that yeah, and, and that can be a scary thing as a teacher right and i know a lot of us are are afraid to turn over that control because you know what if they say they want this thing and i'm like i never heard of that thing yeah well then i got some learning to do you know that's part of the know your audience and going back to the imagineers they know everything. And what I mean by that is if you're an Imagineer and you're asked to design an attraction around Ratatouille, this is one they did fairly recently in, in Euro Disney. Well, guess what? You have to go learn French culture. You have to go learn high cuisine and not just learn about it. Like they'll go and do it. Like they'll go spend six months in France just being immersed in the culture before they go build the, in the attraction. Now, obviously I'm a history teacher. I can't go spend six months in ancient China, <laughs> but I can watch documentaries. I can read books. I can get the information that they 
that really is going to get through to the students. I, I love that. I want to, I want to highlight what you said before I move on. You, you said that that, that can be scary. And I think that that's a really, really, really valid point that I, that is so legit that I was, I was, I was the type, I mean, I was the type of teacher that control is a comforting, is a comforting thing. And I think that a lot of teachers, I don't know what percentage, but that's the nice thing about as being a classroom teacher is you're the king of the castle or the queen of the castle is you do get to control a lot of what goes on in there. And it can be dangerous. It can be scary to give up some of that control. But if you think back to some of your your favorite teachers growing up, my guess is, like you said, they knew their audience. They knew their kids. Yeah, it was it wasn't about like, well, this is what I'm gonna. I don't care who's listening. This is this right. is my job. It's it's about them. So yeah, I I I love that. So do you have one more? Sure. Uh, let's let's do. One more, uh, we'll kind of go the other direction. Let's talk about story since your podcast is all focused on story. So there's a famous Disney line slash dictum, which is it all starts with a story and it's often attributed to Walt Disney. It's not actually from Walt Disney. It's not even from Marty Sklar. It was from one of the Imagineers. I I forget her name was a woman and one of the first female Imagineers, Doris something. And her thing was, it all starts with a story. So there's a couple different uh, commandments that deal with that. But my favorite one uh, is number seven, which is tell one story at a time. Tell one story at a time. From very early on in my education, I have found myself either asking myself and often asking my administrators, what's our story? Like, what is our mission here? What really is our shared goal? And I'll be honest, I've never gotten an answer. I've never gotten an answer. In 22 years of teaching, I've never had an administrator be able to say, well, our story is this, you know, they can give me the, the mission statement for the school, right? Which is often in some sort of platitudes and not very specific, Yeah, but I've never gotten that clear story, but for Disney, it's tell one story at a time. And this is a huge challenge for me because I'm kind of all over the place, especially when I'm teaching, I get excited and I jump from topic to topic, but what they really mean by that is a story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And within the structure of a class, whether it's a period in in a secondary classroom or a full lesson in an elementary school classroom, thinking about it from the perspective of what's the beginning of my lesson, what's the middle, and what's the end. That is the idea of telling one story at a time. Our students are bombarded with information in a day. You know, my students have six periods plus whatever happened at lunch and whoever's dating whom and whatever's happening on TikTok. (laughs) If I'm giving them, you know, bits and pieces of three different lessons in my period, of course, they're not going to remember it. That's on me, not on them. So learning to tell that one story cohesively is just so important. So I'll give you a Disney example. Uh, One of my favorite attractions, my mom's favorite attractions, I'll bring my mom into this, is Midway Mania at California Adventure. And at Midway Mania of California Adventure, it's not the most complicated ride. You sit in a car and you shoot 3D targets on a screen. That's what you're doing. But the ride is telling you a story the whole time. So the ride begins with you sitting in the car and the car kind of spins around. And for a few times I went on it and I'm like, why is this thing just randomly spinning out of nowhere? Well, you notice when you look at the walls, 
there are paintings of toys and board games, and they get bigger and bigger and bigger as you're spinning. So what the story is telling you is not that the walls are getting bigger, it's that you're getting smaller. So the idea is you're being shrunk down to be one of Andy's toys. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning of the story. And then the actual story, the ride itself, is you are in his playset. You're in his toy, playing as a toy in his toy. And then this the closes with, and this is the part that actually came later. It wasn't there when the ride first opened. But when the ride ends, you walk upstairs and there's an office. And it's an empty office. There's there's no people in it, but there's a chair. You can tell it's a, it's a home office. And sitting on the floor is a box. It's a little red box that says Toy Story Midway Mania. It's the name of the ride. And the box is open. And the idea is that the toys have spilled out. And now you're no longer in the box. You finished the story. And you go off into the gift shop and you finish your story with a souvenir, which is French for to remember. And you walk away with something to remember the experience of I was Andy's toy for five and a half minutes. And, you know, when we apply that to our classrooms, what's the beginning? What's that hook? How do I get them in? What's the we need to bring them in? Then what's the lesson? But then what are they leaving with? What is the the end of the story? And I am often guilty of the end of the story being the bell rang and I ran out of time. And that's not a good end to any story. <laughs> so that that breaks the story. That's not one story at a time. Now I'm telling them two stories. Number one, my lesson. And number two, oh yeah, the bell rang. Let's get cleaned up and get out of here. And of yeah. course it's going to mess with their minds. So keeping that fidelity of one story contained without interruption is such a powerful thing. Gosh, I, I'm... I'm sitting here listening to that, and you said like I, I've been guilty of that. I know I've been guilty of that. Students get bombarded, and you don't finish the one story, and then you come back the next day and you start another story. And if you don't finish that one, then you come back the next day and you start another story. And it's like if we were starting a book and then started another book, and st I mean now we've got like three dozen books that we've never finished. It's like, or I'm thinking from a district lens: is it is it initiative? fatigue where it's like we started something and we never really finished it but now we're going to start something else we never really finished that either then we're going to start something else it's like there's so much value in almost like if everything's important nothing's important and it's like sure. but let's I, I i love how you phrased that like start the story at beginning middle and end so wow that's that's awesome. Kevin, this is, I'm, I'm, again, I've got the book in front of me right here. I'm intrigued to, to dive in more because again, my daughter's going to love this. She's 22, but a huge fan of Disney. Um, and I think that anyone, anyone who's listening to this, I think could really get something out of this. Tell us, tell us more about, like, tell us where, where can they get the book? So it is available on Amazon. If you just search Teach With Magic, it'll pop right up. It'll be there. Um, and it's uh, Kindle and it's regular. I will say that the Kindle version, for whatever reason, doesn't have the few graphics in it. Apparently, that's a thing that Amazon does on Kindle. So if you want the Kindle one, great. You're just missing out on a few graphics. If you send me an email, I'll happily send them to you if that's an issue for you. Um, but it is available on Amazon. And I, what I do want to say, you know, I... I like you, I hate to plug my own stuff, but go for it. <laughs> it's it. It's inspirational. Yeah. It, it is much more inspirational than it is practical. And that's by design. I, I wrote most of it during the lockdown, during COVID. And 
I was remembering all these awesome times I had at Disneyland and could not be there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of just stories from me visiting Disneyland and how that ties back to the commandments and then back to the classroom. It's if you want the practical side of it, my website, which is just teachwithmagic.com has all of my lessons, all my recorded presentations that I've done. There's eight or nine of them up there now. That has a lot more of the practical, here's how to actually create this thing. But it's just very inspirational. I think it's a fun read. I think you will enjoy it. If you have any affinity for Disney at all, even if you're not a teacher, just a lot of good Disney kind of stories and history and stuff thrown in there. Um, And we're all teachers, whether you're in a classroom or not, we all teach people things all the time. And if we can get better at it, great. Yeah. Well, I love that. And and yeah, in my book, Stories of Edu Influence, same same concept. I wrote it to I me. Mean, yes, I try to weave some practical elements in there in each chapter, but more than anything, it's it's meant to be an encouragement and and an and an inspiration like, hey, this is something you can try and let them take the inspiration and let the reader then see how that would translate in into his or her own classroom. So uh, and you mentioned the website, the social media. Can they? Uh, Twitter is probably the best way. Yeah, I'm just at Mr. Roten. So at M-M-R-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Uh, easy to find. Again, if you search my name, it'll pop up. Uh, yeah, that'd be the best way. It's either Twitter, the website. There's a contact page on the website. So you send me email and I'm happy to respond and answer any questions people have. And uh, I just, I love that part of it. I love contacting and getting in contact with teachers. I mean, I've literally teachers around the world that I've been able to talk to as a result, which is super cool. I love it. That's one of the reasons I do this podcast as well, is I get to meet people like you who've got inspirational testimonies and experiences. And, and, and again, this is what episode 109 I've maybe met more than half, probably 70% I've never met in person. So Uh, which is which is awesome. So um, again, as I always say, even if no one listens, I get something out of these these broadcasts. So Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, and for everyone listening, thank you. I'm sure that you uh, have gotten something out of this, uh, like me, some some inspiration from uh, his his Disney Disney stories. Again, you can get a copy of his book Teach with Magic uh, on Amazon, and you can get a copy of my book, Stories of Edu Influence, on Amazon. Uh, and if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to the Teaching Tales podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, it's even an Audible right now. Or you can listen directly on the podcast page at brentcoley.com. Kevin, once again, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And for everyone listening, thank you for your time. And until next time, have a good one. <laughs>